So we're in Daniel 11. I hope to cover one verse in Daniel 11, so I'm thinking my odds are good on it. I made some promises last week that I know I cannot keep. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Daniel 11 is where we're going to be. But as normal, I say, hey, let's start here. And then I'd say, let's turn someplace else first. And let's do that. Uh, Isaiah 28. I get about three quarters away through writing my notes. And I'm like, I need to go back at the beginning and read this verse. Because I know what a help it was to me at the time I understood these things. Uh, Isaiah 28, verse 10. Uh, Isaiah 28.10 says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here little, there little. That's how God's laid out the Bible. He, some, some are chronological, like a story. We have, I think the book of Revelation obviously has an outline that tells you that it's going chronological in that way, and others, some of the Old Testament stories are chronological and how they're laid out and how it goes down. Uh, but in some things, especially doctrine-wise, you know, they're, they're scattered and they're mixed throughout. It's through God's wisdom to protect them, to guard them. Um, by not having a second chapter of salvation, you know, the devil would just attack that chapter and pull it out. Instead, he's laced everything everywhere. And so you have to be a student and a consumer of God's word, all of God's word. And then through that, you take it and you glean all the details. You glean all the nuances. You see all these things with the fuller picture. And no matter how Satan might attack something, you're protected, you're shielded, uh, because you've been line upon line, precept upon precept. You've picked up here a little, there a little, and you've taken it and you see what God means. Uh, that's why I like to go through the Old Testament and bring it into the New Testament. That's why I like to use the Bible as a commentary on itself, because you're not taking what I say. <laughs> We're taking what the Bible says, and you're trying to string it that way. I'm doing that for my protection and for your good, so that we understand God's word. Um, that's one of the things my help me keeps me <laughs> accountable for. As we think about something or we get to a topic and I'm discussing it with her, uh, she gets way better discussions than you get. <laughs> but, uh, but she's always like, well, how does that fit everywhere else? Does that align in this way? And just kind of keeps us as a reminder to go back. Does that fit as it should? It's got to fit everywhere or it's an anomaly that can't go there. That's why we have doctrine. You know, the doctrine is to keep us online, you know, that we don't have some private interpretation. And so we're trying to use the Bible to interpret the Bible so that we can understand who God is. And so we're going to see that tonight on the topic of Armageddon. It's not just one spot. It's way too many spots. I said last week, I'm like, oh, I think we'll read through every part, and that way you have an understanding, a fuller understanding of what it is. Foolish me. It's so many places. But we'll get some of the, I'll cherry pick some good ones. How's that? Uh, but before we start it, what do you think of when I say Armageddon? Well, when I say it like Armageddon. <laughs> so, you know, you got to have that big movie voice. Um, does it invoke pictures of nukes? I always kind of draw it that way. I have little symbols that I use to kind of mark Bible verses, and I always draw like a big you know, mushroom cloud. Into the world, like most people kind of associate it with that, you know, Bruce Willis suiting up, going to stop a meteor. No, that's a movie, Armageddon. Uh, but that was, you know, picturing the end of the world, uh, a giant worldwide battle. You know, just some of the images that we get. I guess when I initially asked that question, what do you think of when you hear Armageddon, do you fear it? 
A lot of people are kind of, oh, it's going to be Armageddon. There's a war over in Ukraine. It might be Armageddon. You know, it's like something's going on with this. It could be Armageddon. You know, that, that we're always right, right there. That's not the way my mind clicks. <laughs> I'm always like, well, this has to happen. This has to happen. That has to happen. This has to go here. So this and that. It could be horrible. It could be a bad, bad war. It could be this, and a lot of people might die. That's not Armageddon. You know, so I guess that makes me an optimist. <laughs> it might be a horrible, deadly war, but it's not Armageddon. Uh, Christians shouldn't fear it. Uh, and I don't think we should yearn for it. Um, but that has a caveat. How's that? Look, look at Amos chapter 5. Uh, oh, we're going to visit some of the ones that you're like, is that really in the Bible? Is Obadiah a book? Yeah, so we're going to look at some of those weird books we don't normally go to tonight. But Amos is one we don't read often. Amos chapter 5. says this in talking about Armageddon or the day of the Lord, which I'm a little ahead of myself, but Amos 5 verse 18 says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. It says, um, we shouldn't yearn for it. You know, we, we don't desire it in this way, and, but, but I said it has a caveat in that it's, there's at least three different groups that he's addressing here. Some are yearning for it, thinking like, it'll finally be over. We can, you know, reset. Hit the big reset button. Armageddon, you know, millennial reign. We get to start over. Let's hurry up and happen. Let's bring that on, Lord. And because a lot of people think they're good to go. I think I'm ready for Armageddon. I think I'm ready for Judgment Day. I think I'm fine with God. And they're not. They're not at all. They haven't thought this through all the way. They've not considered who they are, where they are, and what, what it is. They're, they're in that group that Jesus says when they come before him on that day, they'll say, Lord, Lord, look at all these things we did unto you. And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. They thought they were good. And Jesus is like, I, I don't even know who you are. So don't wish it to come, especially if you're not prepared. And so a lot of commentaries commentators think that's what this is talking about. You, know, you think you've got it all figured out, but you don't. And so God's delay on judgment is like, how much worse can it get? When's he going to judge? When's he going to bring it out? When's it, when's it, when's it going to happen? Don't pray for it too soon. Start looking at yourself first, making sure you're right, making sure you're correct. And he's God's delay is giving us all time to repent and more people to repent. I think it shows the kindness and the patience and the love of God that he delays even now. You know, coming and starting all this. The second, especially for Christians, is that once this happens and all these people die, and we're talking most everybody dies in this battle, that's eternity for them. That's death. That's, that's forever. They are lost. There's no second chances. There's, there's no reset for them. It's done and over, hell forever. And, it, and it's a horrible death when you, when you die. Um, now, and I think that's the mindset we should have if we, if we think that this is coming, we're just seeing that God's delay as opportunity for more to be saved and not just wishing judgment on someone. But I say that with, I've never watched someone torture my loved ones or watched my loved ones die a horrible death and prayed to God for vengeance. Many in the Bible have. David did often. <laughs> God, I pray for destruction upon my enemies. You know, because he, the precatory psalms, some of the harder ones that are there. I pray for the enemies of God to be destroyed. Bring upon them this. 
the tribulation saints, after the beast has done everything and made their life horrible, starving them to death, watching their children starve to death. That's why he says, woe to you, give suck in those days, pray that your flight not be in winter. It's going to be horrible for you, and you're going to have to watch it for your children. Uh, you're going to be persecuted at every turn. Everything's going to be supernaturally hard against you if you don't comply and take the mark and worship the beast. Sure, those people are saying, yeah, you can stop him anytime now. And they're praying for his destruction. I think that's probably all right. And this often, so there's that group. And so I think there's some who do, and, and we'll look at a, a little different one on that one in just a second. But there's also a third group. They're saying, hey, let's bring around Armageddon because they are mark- mockers. They don't think it's real. They are mocking God. Where's Jesus. Look at these horrible things we just did. Where is he? Why didn't he judge us? Where's this God of yours who's holy and righteous? You know, why didn't he stop trafficking? Why hasn't he stopped this? Why isn't, he's letting me get by with it. I'm, I'm profiting from it. I've got my own island. I've got my own submarine. I've got my own jet. I've got all these things. I, I'm not saying Epstein thought that, but he had all those things. And it sure seems like nothing was stopping him. I should just be able to go. You know, I'm hobnobbing with famous people. Where's Jesus? Why isn't he here? Let him judge us. Oh, nothing still? Okay, let's keep doing. We must be, he must be okay with what we're doing. Maybe God's scared of us. Maybe he's afraid we're going to kill him again. You know, there's t-shirts that are going around there. If he comes back again, we'll kill him again. It's like people wear these blasphemous shirts that are out there. Teenagers. Um, maybe they're like, oh, maybe Jesus is afraid of the beast. Who is able to make war with the beast? This is a mantra that they have in the book of Revelation. Who's able to make war with him? Where is he? Look what he's doing. He's just slayed the two witnesses. He just did all this. You know, they, they, they bring all this out. Ooh, I will not want to be one who mocks God. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. He talks about this group. Peter does too. Peter talks about you know the scoffers in the last days, and that's how the last days will be marked, by scoffers, by mockers, uh, a couple of different passages. But we also have this in Jeremiah 17, verse 12. Jeremiah 17, 12, a glorious high throne from the beginning of the, of the palace of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth. Which I find interesting. They're, um, they're going to be written in the earth. That in the book of Revelation, there's God and his saints, and there's the earth dwellers. And I hear that even Jeremiah talks about these, their, their earth is all they get. Uh, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. They've turned their back on him. Heal me, O Lord, I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. This is Jeremiah's hope. Behold, they say unto me, where is the word of the Lord? We don't see him keeping up with any of these things that you've been warning us about, Jeremiah. Let it come now. Let him judge me now. These guys are mocking Jeremiah, God's prophet. They are mocking God right to his face, a prophet of God. Verse 16, as for me, uh, I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee. Neither have I desired the woeful day. That's another name for Armageddon, the woeful day. Thou knowest that which came out of my lips was right before me. Be not a terror unto me, thou art my hope in the day of evil. That's another name for the Armageddon. Verse 18, let them be confounded that persecute me, but let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil 
and destroy them with double destruction. So he's like, these mockers, uh, yeah, I'm going to pray that it comes upon them, and I pray that it is double upon them. Uh, Galatians 6 tells us that God is not mocked, and he is not mocked. He will judge them. And so, mockers. And so, this is a sober topic. It's a sober thing. God's wrath has been storing up since Genesis, since the garden. Armageddon is one name for this battle. Um, it gets this name because it's, uh, it's the English translation of har Megiddo. Uh, Har means the mountain of Megiddo, uh, which is actually a valley. There's hills that are around there, and it becomes this whole valley area. I believe Angel's seen it, haven't you? Yeah, she's been there. Um, it's also called the Day of the Lord. Now, some of these kind of have overshadowing with other things, but there's the Day of the Lord, the Day of God's Wrath, the Wrath of God, the Visitation, the Great Day, the Woeful Day, the Evil Day, the Great Day of God Almighty. And so, you know, to say like, oh, I'm just going to search for Armageddon, you're going to find that in one verse, in Revelation 16. But if you're going to talk about the topic, it's here, little, there, little, line upon line, precept upon precept, you know, and it is here with different titles in different ways. And that's why understanding what he's talking about you know, can protect you when he talks about the day of the Lord versus the rapture, two different events, you know, two different things are happening, you know, what's surrounding these, and so that's that whole topic. Uh, and so that's just a few of the names of it. Um, but know this, that Armageddon is not the end of the world. Um, there's another thousand years after that plus, <laughs> and then it's, and so it's, it's never that. And so when you hear, that, so don't ever think, oh, we're going to do it. Um, most of the earth might be destroyed, as far as in being inhabitable. Inha- inha- there we go, inhabitable. Uh, it'd be poisoned. Waters are poisoned. The freshwater's poisoned. The oceans are poisoned. A lot of the trees, a third of the trees, are all burned up. It's laid to waste. But man can't destroy it. God made it. You think you made it where we can just blow it up? I mean, I don't, I'm very proud thinking that we could. I'd heard one scientist try to work it all out. If we took all the nuclear warheads that we had at the time, and this was in the 80s or 90s uh, when we had more, supposedly we've gotten rid of a bunch. Uh, but if we put them all, we put them all around the, on like a perimeter of the earth, we did the best we might hope to do is maybe crack it. You know, so we can't annihilate it. You know, we we're, were proudful thinking and thinking of that. But, but God's not done with the earth. He has a thousand years after this. Then he will... Res- Make a new heaven and a new earth we spend eternity on. So it's, it's not done. It's maybe uh, the end of an age or an epoch or an era, something like that. And the beginning of a new one with the millennial reign of Christ. Um, so mankind's not, you know, we shouldn't be looking to survive in spaceships and fly to another planet to go out and, oh, we've made this one so poisoned with nuclear weapons. That's what we're going to do. If you worry about that, if you stay up at night, quit watching those shows. That's not how it's going to go. That's not how it's going to be. That's Scientology and that's Mormonism. That talks about we go from planet to planet and doing this Battlestar Galactic. Quit watching that show. That is a Scientology-based show talking about people going from one planet to another as they go on this way. And it's all a fantastic story written by L. Ron Hubbard. And so that, if you didn't know that, that that's... Part of what that is, that's religion that's in there. Um, the day of the Lord contains Armageddon and other events and judgments. Uh, so at the battle of Armageddon, it's kind of like a crescendo at the end, but other things are happening at this time as he comes down. One, one of the whole big points of it, and the whole big point at the end of Revelation, the whole point of the end of the tribulation, which is the seven-year period we've looked at in Daniel chapter 9, is that God judges unbelieving Israel. I have shown myself, and I have shown myself, and I have shown myself, and you have rejected me, you stiff-necked people. And he comes down and he judges them. 
He judges the unbelieving world. I have shown myself and I have given you and I put you on this beautiful planet and I show you my handiwork. I put my prophets out there and you kill them and you think that you're doing good. You mock them and you mock, mock me. Woe unto you. It's time for justice. You have mistreated them. It'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than you have done this to one of my children. He judges the unbelieving world. He sends, in all this, he sends the beast to Gehenna hell, which is the second hell, or which is the second death, which is the eternal hell. He skips hell, hell, and he goes right to Gehenna hell, the, the, the everlasting hell. He sends the false prophet to Gehenna hell. So he takes these two guys who've waged this war upon mankind uh, for seven years. He comes and judges them. They even skip dying. He sends them alive. It's the anti-raptures. He sends them into Gehenna hell. God does also at this time, he rescues believing Israel. At the time of Armageddon, he comes down and he rescues Israel. So there's some good in that. And it also is Jesus coming back to earth at the second coming. That's how he culminates at the very end. His foot touches down on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two. And it's a beautiful passage we'll look at next week. And so he divides all this up. And we're looking at next week because Daniel goes there. Um, so now look at Daniel 11.45. With that, as <laughs> a precursor. Daniel 11, verse 45. Uh, I'll read it real quick, and then we'll come back and read it again. But Daniel 11, verse 45 says, And he shall plant, that's the beast, and the beast he shall plant the, tab the tabernacles of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, the seas and the holiest glory mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. And so previously in this chapter we have talked... Um, this is the last couple of weeks, about the beast's campaign here at the end of the tribulation. Uh, he runs through and over many countries because the war is breaking out and he's losing his stranglehold upon the earth. And so he begins to just ravage and rampage as he runs around and through and over many countries. Uh, he enters into Israel and he establishes his tent there. He battles Egypt uh, to the south. He hears about something coming out of the north. Russia, Gog, Magog, out of the north. And he heads north to show them who's boss, to claim what is his, to put them down once and for all. But on his way, they all meet up in Megiddo, um, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. This is, uh, and it usually does the two, so we talk about the Battle of Armageddon or the Valley of Megiddo, and it's also called uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And it's it, pretty much everything north of Jerusalem up to Megiddo, those two areas, about 60 miles that, that whole area. I think it's encompassing all of that because I think all of this is part of the battleground. Um, yeah, so there's detailed drawings. So, <laughs> but, uh, but that kind of gives you an outline of it as he, he come down. We looked at last week, some of it, how he goes. He judges Basra. Uh, Babylon's judged right around this whole same time, closer to this end. It is destroyed. No, oh, you have fallen, you have fallen. And he comes down then at the end at the Valley of Megiddo as all these armies uh, come together there. And so it's a big area. All the world's forces are on hand. If you remember, last week we talked about from Revelation 16 that three unclean spirits like frogs have come out of the beast and out of the false prophet and out of the devil, the dragon himself. And they've gone forth into the world to lure them into this valley, to draw them into Megiddo. And that's where we get the word Armageddon from as they come there. Uh, the main part that it mentions them doing is drawing the kings of the east, China, Japan, Korea, you know, the, the Mongols and all those, all down Mongolians, uh, all in this way. Everybody east this way comes over into it, let alone we have the other forces that are coming from the other areas. 
down into there. So they are all gathered, or they are drawn by God to this one place in time. You tell me he's not in charge of this? this is, you know, he just makes it clear through all of us. It's like, this is the destiny. This is what I have written. I've, I told you it will be determined. And so he begins to draw them like hooks in their jaws to pull them down to it. So how much effort does it take for Jesus to win this battle, this Jesus against all the armies of the world? 11.45 again. And he shall plant, the beast, shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountains. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. <laughs> Comes to his end. That's how, it's, it's a big nothing burger for Christ, right? It's like it's um, very little effort on his part. None shall help him. You know, that, that's how it ends. No one. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The devil's been preparing for this for since the garden, right? He's going to overthrow God. You know, we are sick of you. We're going to cut your bands asunder. You know, chapter 2 he gets of, of the Psalms. You know, trying to get men incited in this. Let's cut him. Let's throw him away. Let's be done with him. He's the cosmic killjoy. So does the devil come to help him? The beast? No. None come to help him. The spiritual beings that he's in league with, whether they be demons or aliens or AI, some of the things we speculated on last week, nope, none of that helps him. Uh, nothing. Is it his weapons? Remember, he's been storing up all these weapons. He's been collecting. He goes around talking peace and safety. Give me, surrender your weapons to me, and then we, I have no more war on the earth, <laughs> except for I'm going to bring war to you. Uh, he has all these weapons. Does that, none of them help. His strong defenses. Remember, he, he, he had this God of defenses, this God of forces that he put his money and his effort into. He dug all these big bunkers. He made all these big holes. Is that, is he, is that, does it protect him? No. Uh, his strange God that it says that he has in verse 39, the strange God that he has, this God of forces. Can, these people, can they do anything to help him? Nope. None. None can help him. He's wasted his time. He's wasted his effort. He's wasted his energies. All these things he's done with the precious treasures of Egypt. Nope, I don't care how many chants you do from ancient cultures, all the way back summoning these ancient gods, doing whatever it is, all the demonic forces and everything that you can bring to your darkness, just because you're an understanding of dark, dark sentences, none of it helps. He's the light. And the light shows up, but darkness flees. I said last week, I said that we would read all these I mentioned earlier, but there's too many. Um, we'll look at some. So let's hit the highlights. Uh, Revelation 19. Probably the most clear if you're going to read through and you're like oh here it is because I think it is logical in the progression as it comes uh, Revelation 19 we're going to start about verse 11 but know that verse 1 through 10 if you're curious it's been a while <clears throat> that's the staging before the battle of Armageddon from our viewpoint he's talking about the church and what's the church doing the bride of Christ we're having a marriage we're having a big marriage supper we've gotten our um, our garments, our new garments that we're going to be having. He's given us our rewards. We probably, I think that this is, God's the God of order. I think it's the, where he tells us our role. It's not going to be like, hey, come on, it's time for Armageddon. You're like, I didn't pay attention to church. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, you know, I think it's going to be a time where he's like, here's what you are. You have been faithful in these five things. Here's these five cities. And here's, here's your job. You're going to have this to do. Here's your role. He, he's He's the master, right? So he's going to have, he's the God of order. He's going to give us our, our, our job listings. He's going to give us our role to play in this. And so he's done through that. We're arrayed and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, verse 9, the big feast before the battle. And then the sky splits open. The portal, if you will, you know, that opens up verse 11 of Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened. In other places, it talks about it rolls back like a scroll. 
which makes sense. You know, the scientists say, well, if there's multiple dimensions, you have to have some place to roll into, and the way the Bible describes it makes perfect sense. And so this is what's happening. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful, and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. This is a key point. This is a righteous war. This is a just war. There is a time when it's right for a nation to go to war. I think World War II was probably one of the most just wars. I think that's why we have that, the book titled, you know, The Greatest Generation, because he took a sleeping giant, America, woke us up to go around and say, this has got to stop. And they're all like, what have we done? Now, of all of our other wars since then, been righteous? Yeah, you have to look at them per, cases, <laughs> per case battle. But this is righteous battle. Jesus Christ has been long-suffering. He is taking all this for far too long, and it's finally like, this is right, this is just. Vengeance is mine. I've promised this to, to all those that I've told to wait. Now it's time to come. And so this is a just and righteous war. Been a long time coming. Verse 12, And his eyes was a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And you know what that name was? I don't know. <laughs> and if anybody tells you they know that name, they're lying to you because it tells you right here no one knows it. All right, verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, we've seen this. We looked at Isaiah 63 last week that the precursor right to going to the Valley of Megiddo is that he's come down here and rescued the Jews who are hiding out in Basra. We think maybe Petra uh, down in there. That he's come down and rescued them as the Antichrist was pushing against them in that way. And so he goes and judges them first. And so he says, no one helps me in that. So I think he's done this battle by himself. Now he's come back up, circled the troops, and we're following him all down in. I think that's why we see him coming on this white horse. Here he comes! And they're like, all right, follow in! And it's like the attack plans are there. You know, we've gone over him. It's happening! You know, and we, we dive out into it he's rescued Israel and now we all gather behind him and then verse 14 and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean if you are a twice born person if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ to save you and nothing else, if you're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, you are in the Bible right here. I think God and the, and the, and the heavens have their armies. I think we're the Christian soldiers that have suited up as well. I think we are these soldiers as well. And so there, as John looked into the crowd, he might have saw us go by as he was writing this. Um, so uh, we're here. And so um, I've often thought it's like there's always those people that know on the roller coaster where the camera is, you know, so it comes by their ugly. Ah, they're playing chess, so they're doing all that. So I'm all kind of going down, and I'm like, where's John? You know, so I'm going to look out and see, or am I going to be overwhelmed by, oh, here comes the Battle of Armageddon. So, but I don't know. At least we have, it, we have a thought in our mind that we can look and see, where's John watching this and all this? But I don't think we're going to be so focused on the king that we won't see him. But that's silly talk on my part. But we all fly through this portal and dive out of heaven to come down to the earth. God has opened up for this, opened this up for us. And we do in this battle not too much. <laughs> he does all the fighting. I think we do establishing afterwards. I think that he's gone through and does this, and, and, and I have another thought that I'll add here in a little bit, but uh, we're going to see that Christ does the battle. This is his to fight, but he has all the saints with him. Verse 15, 
and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. All caps. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Uh, you don't want to be invited to this supper, because this supper, the people are the meal. He's calling all the carrion, all the, all the, the, the animals that eat the dead, that, that clean up the roadsides, that find the animals that have died in the fields and everything else, the, God's cleaning crew. Just get ready. You've got a lot of mopping up to do. You're about ready to have a feast. Verse 18. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on, that sat on them and of the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. None of the lost escape. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The beast is not only wanting to fight Jesus, he's wanting to fight you and me as well. He's come against him. He's been mocking us. He's been mocking us early on. We pulled out those passages where he wears down the saints and he calls about the saints and those that are in heaven. That's us. And so they're all there. And so apparently John, from his vantage point, as we fly by, he's able to look down and see what we see. We can see all the armies of the world gathered together at this place, uh, at Megiddo in the Valley of the Jehoshaphat, in this whole spot. Everyone's gathered in there. That's why sometimes I go to Google Earth and I look at it from the, coming from the east. So I know the flight plan. So I know how it's going to go. And it's uh, harder to find than you think. You know, because uh, you think, what's going to be obvious to me? But I know that we'll go over those things before we, we launch this battle. Um, it's good to see it. But he's all there. And he has the arrogance to think that he's going to destroy Jesus Christ and his armies. Nah, no. I'll, 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 we, we've already seen when we peeked ahead at, at Daniel when he said, none helping. Not, yeah, that's it. Um, verse 20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, uh, which he deceived them had received the mark, that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped the image, these both were cast alive, see, they don't die, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's the Gehenna hell I was talking about. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so he speaks the word of righteousness and he delivers judgment upon them. They pretty much explode. Um, so Jesus does all the fighting. I think we might go, might go after some of the supernatural things, like maybe part of our job is to go after the fallen angels and the demons to round them up because he tells us that we are going to judge angels. It's like, I'm judging the earth. You will judge the angels. So maybe we go catch them, round them up, pull them out of their nooks and crannies, and drag them into the light and bring them before the courts. Um, but he says he judges the world. We might go judge them. That's my only other thought on that. Uh, look at Zechariah 14. We'll try to pick up my pace here real quick. Um, Zechariah 14. We're just going to read part of it because uh, it goes right into the next part. Um, but we'll cover it more next week. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, 
Uh, thy, thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. There's some pre-battle that goes on here where they've gone in and they've destroyed and judged. Like I said, he, he judges Israel. It doesn't mean Christ does all this, but he lets the enemies do this, like he's done in the past with Babylon and Assyria and others. Um, the city shall be taken, and the horse, houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off uh, from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And then verse 14 is the second coming, so we're going to stop there. So Jesus comes forth and fights for them. Look at Zechariah 12. Just turn back a little bit. There. Zechariah 12 and verse 8 says, In that day, that's another name, for Armageddon, or the day of the Lord is that day. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. That's a pretty good compliment. You know, old and weak and sickly, you're going to be like David, one of God's warriors who battles Goliath, right? And the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn from him as one mourneth after his only son. And he shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is where he comes and he rescues the saved, uh, rescues Israel, the ones who believe and trust in him. He rescues those. So he judges the unbelieving. He rescues them out of Basra and, and, and brings back and de- defends the city of Jerusalem before we all fight the battle of Megiddo. Uh, look at Joel, the book of Joel. It's in here somewhere. Joel chapter 1. We're going to skip through it. A few verses. Joel 1 verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Uh, look at chapter 2 verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the mornings uh, spread upon the mountains and great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. He's like, there's nothing like this day. Verse 11 of chapter 2. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Look at verse 31 of chapter 2. It says, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations. So you can the same event. All nations are coming together. And will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is north of Jerusalem, but south of Megiddo in that whole area there. And I will plead with him there. For my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted in the land. Uh, and they have cast lots for before my people and have given a boy uh, for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might make drunk. One of us, one of the things that like brings him up to the point where, you know I'm close, when they're trading kids for sex. And I'm like, whoa, that's one of the signs. What's well, something that's going on in our world today? It seems like it's rampant. The first time I'd ever heard I even 
human trafficking outside of slavery, you know, talking way back when, was when the Super Bowl came to Indiana, right? They're like, sex, sex trafficking comes with us. There's all, like, what? Uh, that they do this? God, God finally's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it. I, I will have my vengeance. Look at verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. So God has drawn them all. He's losing these unclean spirits to do his work for him. Verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords. This is no time of peace. This is a time of battle. And your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. That's the opposite of what he does during the millennium where they turn it into farming implements. Now they take farming implements, turn them into war. Verse 11. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Uh, thither cause the mighty one... Uh, Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. That's the word giborim. That's the tyrants, the giants, the hybrids, the strange gods possibly. He says, cause all them to come to this battle as well. I want everybody to come fight at this. And so they bring them all down, verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get ye down, uh, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And then he gives good news as he goes on further. Uh, look at Zephaniah. Yep, that's a real book. It's to the right. Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah 3 verse 8. Therefore wait ye upon me, uh, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up uh, to pray. For my determination is to gather the nations. So he's like, this is determined. He's talking about this in multiple passages. Now I'm going to draw all the nations together, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people of pure language, that I may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. It's talking about near the end that Hebrew language will be restored, which it is in Israel. But maybe we we'll all speak Hebrew throughout eternity. I'm not sure. Uh, look at verse 11. And in that day uh, shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. And they shall go, uh, they shall no more be haughty. Because of my holy mountain. Oh, he brings up in the last day, there will be pride will be a big issue. Haughty, people who are proud of who they are. Proud of their sin and want to flaunt it and force it upon you. Make you comply. Make you bow the knee. You will embrace. You will talk about the virtues of this. You will put it in front of your children. You will call me normal. You will say that this is okay. That would be weird if that would be happening at the same time. Uh, child trafficking and everything else that was going on. That might show that we're getting later towards the hour. Oh, just reading the Bible. Look at Revelation 14. Revelation 14, we'll start verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud him, uh, upon the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the, on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he waits to the perfect time. Verse 16. And he that sat upon the cloud thrust in his sickle and on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, having a sharp sickle. 
And another angel come out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Another name for Armageddon. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood, like I said, without the city, it's in the valley of Megiddo, and the valley of Jehoshaphat, 60 miles there, uh, even into the horses' bridles, or the blood came out of the winepress, even into the horses' bridles, by the space of 1,600 thirloins, and furlongs. And so it's roughly the horses' bridles, five and a half foot tall on average, and the furlongs things, about 200 miles. So 200 miles, five and a half feet deep of blood because of this carnage that happens of everybody gathered together there. That paints a picture for you. The beginning of the millennium, that's some of the jobs that are there. There's those, who, the cleaning crews that go in and clean up these bones and give proper burials and do all that. And so um, we've studied some of that in the past. There's one. If you're out during the millennium and you see a bone from one of these battles that was missed, you put a flag by it and another team that comes in, that's their job to come and grab these up and clean them up and, and, and to put them away. And so uh, to make sure they're buried. It's not during the millennium. It's not like a lot of death and carnage are laying around. And so, uh, but God allows for burials to happen, so that's, I find that interesting. Um, uh, probably, let's see. Look at Isaiah, I'm going to skip a couple. Uh, look at Obadiah before we go to Isaiah. Obadiah. Uh, that is, I don't want him to be left out. He doesn't get many references. Joel, Amos, Obadiah. That's why I can't find it in the New Testament. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Be careful how you treat Israel. Be careful how you treat Christians. Because he says, what you have done is what I'll do unto you. Romans chapter 2 talks about you know, how you have judged is how I'll judge. If you are harsh, if you are unkind, if you are mean, I will be harsh and unkind and I'll be mean. But if you have kindness and compassion and tender, you know. So yeah, be careful how you treat Israel. Be careful how you treat Christians. Be careful how you treat the saints because he says on the day of the Lord, I give you back what you gave. Uh, that's terrifying. Now look at Isaiah 13 and we'll be done for now, I guess. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Isaiah 13, 6 says, Howl ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners therefore out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. And the sun shall be darkened from its going forth. And the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. He mentions it again. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir, 
He's like, I assume death is going to be so rampant, seeing a live person is going to be a rare thing. Verse 13, therefore will I shake the heavens and the earth and shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall be as the chaste roe and as the sheep that no man taketh up. That means it's going to be quick to jump, quick and like a deer, startles them away. Uh, they, sh- then sh- they shall every man turn to his own people and flee every man into his own land. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through, and everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, and they shall not regard silver. Uh, as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows shall dash uh, the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. That sums up our time. Verse 19, And the Babylon and the glory of the kingdoms and the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's how the world's going to be like. Now God is here talking about the precursors building up to this war. So as these armies are moving through and coming through all these cities, they're the ones doing all this ravaging and doing all this stuff, not, not Jesus. He's just saying, I brought war upon them. All these have brought war upon my people. I bring it back upon them, all the horrors of war that is this. He goes, then I judge those who do those things uh, that he set them forth to do. And so he's bringing it all against them. And he judges Babylon. He destroys it, the capital city of the world at this time. And he brings it all into to judgment. Um, not fun for the lost at all. Uh, I think we get the idea. There's tons of passages. If you, if you look for the day of the Lord, the day of vengeance, the, the, the day of God's wrath, the great wrath, that day, the evil day, you know, the, the visitation, and all those, you put them all together, you get a pretty full picture uh, that it is not a very pleasant time to be lost. That's why Jesus says, I'm long-suffering, and, 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 and come unto me, all you weary and, 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 and labor, and, and I will give you rest, and repent and trust in me, and you can have salvation. Blessed is he who mourneth uh, and is... He shall be comforted, but he who is poor in spirit. I mean, you humble yourself and realize you need him as a savior. He wants people to repent now. Well, we've got at least seven years. <laughs> so uh, repent and trust in him. Now, Daniel chapter 12 talks about the next events that happen, establishing the kingdom, setting these things up. God's a God of orders. He's told us a little bit, a little bit about this. He goes through a resurrection. He talks about things to invest your time in now. Saints, if you wonder, what should I be investing my time in? What's a good investment plan? Should it be gold, silver, or people? Uh, he says, you know, he, he tells us what wisdom is, and so he, he tells us what to do, and so we'll look at that. And then we will spend the next thousand years with Jesus as king on earth. And that's not eternity. That's just the warm-up. It's just a thousand years on, on earth with Jesus as king. That's the warm-up for eternity. We're spending everlasting life with him, and so uh, it's a sweet deal. Why would you not repent and trust in him? He's done all the purchasing. He's done all the buying. He's the one who paid for our sins. He's taken the wrath of God upon himself. If not, some of that picture of what we went through would be upon us. God's wrath upon the evil, upon the unbelieving. That is what hell is. God's wrath poured out on the wicked. Jesus Christ took all this that we read about upon himself for you if you've repented and trusted in him. If you haven't, you need to. Jesus says, I'll take it. He takes all God's wrath upon you satisfies it so that there's none left. There's no double jeopardy. We've been judged once. Jesus Christ was one who took it for us. How we should esteem him, how we should praise him and thank him for being our savior. And then he gives us all these wonderful things to come. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. That's why he delays. That's why he sends out messages. That's why he has testimonies that go forth. Oh, that they would listen. Uh, We just need to be better and make sure that we are 
sharing the good news of the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission as he's given us as soldiers now. And I think the more obedient we are as soldiers now, the better our rewards uh, to serve through him throughout the kingdom. And so that sounds exciting. I think you'd have something good made just for you. And so uh, it's worth doing it. As we were talking about in Romans 8, you know, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it, as Paul says. And so uh, it is worth it. Thank you all for being here and for listening. I'll let me go over a few minutes. Um, but I got it in. So chapter.